everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company on this Thursday edition of our show. Getting you closer and closer to the weekend. And boy, it's going to be a jam-packed, exciting weekend of sports action. LSU at Vandy. Final regular season weekend series for the Tigers and the Commodores. It's going to take place up in Nashville. We'll have that game for you. Game one of the series tonight, right here on the game. Starts at 6.30. So, LSU at Vandy. UL, they're going to be at home, wrapping up their regular season against Little Rock. Three games set for them. That begins at 6 o'clock tonight over at the Teague. The McNeese Cowboys, They begin Southland Conference Tournament play today. They're the one seed. They're taking on the eight seed, Incarnate Word. That'll be at 6 o'clock this evening as well from Joe Miller Ballpark. That's just college baseball. Astros have a day off. They're going to be traveling. They're going to come home for a big weekend series against in-state rival the Texas Rangers. That's on tap for the weekend. The PGA Championship tees off today. Tiger Woods is in the field. No Phil Mickelson. No Bryson DeChambeau. A couple of the big names not there, including Lefty, who's your defending champ. We'll touch on that a little bit later. Oh, and NCAA regionals for softball begin as well. Raging Cajuns. Out at the Clemson Regional in South Carolina. They're the three seed. They're going to take on the two seed Auburn tomorrow. The McNeese Cowgirls, they are leaving the states of Texas and Louisiana for the first time ever for a regional. They're heading up to Evanston Regional outside of Chicago where they'll be taking on Notre Dame on Friday in a 3-2 matchup. The LSU Lady Tigers, they're going to be heading out to Tempe, Arizona as they're going to begin play against San Diego State in a 2-3 matchup in their NCAA regional. Oh, and on top of that, NBA playoffs, conference finals are in full swing. Whew. What? Oh, and don't forget, the Preakness Stakes is Saturday as well. Yeah, Rich Strike not riding in it, but Epicenter, your Louisiana Derby winner, is still plenty of intrigue going on there. So we get closer and closer to an absolute jam-packed weekend. Lots to get to, lots to preview. We have three great guests for you today. Coming up at 7.30, our friend from Saturday Down South, Connor O'Gara is going to come on, break down the NCAA's decision yesterday to not limit scholarship restrictions for a two-year period. Oh, yeah. No more being maxed out at 25 for two recruiting cycles. Things are about to get a little nuts. 
We'll touch on that with Connor, as well as big storylines heading into the summer season for college football. Oh, and we'll get his reaction about what Nick Saban had to say about Texas A&M paying all their recruits, which caused a bit of a buzz yesterday. That'll be coming up at 7.30. At 8 o'clock, our friend Les East from CrescentCitySports.com will be joining us. We'll get his reactions on what the Pels are going to do with the number eight overall pick that they were they received due to the NBA lottery. What are their plans for free agency? And what about the New Orleans Saints? Are they done? Are they done making deals? Lots of buzz yesterday about Daryl Williams, former LSU star running back who had more than 1,000 yards from scrimmage last year for the Kansas City Chiefs. He's a free agent. He was in New Orleans yesterday. Is he visiting with the Saints? Lots of speculation there. We'll get Les's thoughts on all of that coming up at 8 o'clock today. And then, of course, at 8.30, making his RP3 and company debut, we're going to talk Houston Astros with the man who writes for the Juice Box Journal. Michael Schwab covers the Houston Astros for a living. That's his passion. He's going to join us to talk all things Houston Astros. Despite losing two of three at Boston, this team is still rolling in the right direction. So we'll break that all down with Michael. He'll join us at 8.30. Of course, we'll take your phone calls. Hotline's always open. We love to hear from you. 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. Oh, and not to forget, though, we got downtown rising tickets to give away. That's right. We're going to be giving away yet another pair this morning. We'll have our trivia question for you at 7.30. Right before 7.30, we will unveil our trivia question of the day. You call in to the hotline. You answer that trivia question correctly. First person to do so. Going to win two tickets to downtown Rising. See the Cold War kids perform right here in Lafayette. Two tickets for downtown Rising on the line. Our trivia question of the day will be coming up shortly before 7.30. I'll give you a hint, a clue here. On Monday, my trivia question was about the New Orleans Saints. Tuesday, it's about the Houston Astros. Wednesday, it was about the LSU Tigers going to be about the raging cajuns today that's all i can tell you the trivia question to give away the downtown rising tickets is going to be about the raging cajuns once again we'll unveil that trivia question this morning shortly before 7 30 because we got tickets to downtown rising to give away and we want to make sure to give them to you joining me here in the studio of course is producer extraordinaire hannah five names I am your big, bald, and beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, and we're going to kick off today's show talking about the Houston Astros. After hitting all those home runs, six of them the night before when they skull drug the poor Boston Red Sox, it looked like it was going to happen yet again. It did. They hit six home runs total the night before, five in the second inning alone when they played at nine runs. And what happens? First batter of the game, Jose Altuve for the Astros. 
battles Boston starting pitcher Pivietta. Ten pitches is the at-bat. And on the 10th pitch, Altuve takes a pitch over the wall. Home run. And I'm listening in the car, and I'm like, oh, there it is. They're just carrying over all those home runs they hit on Tuesday night. They're carrying them right over. Battle took the starting pitching to 10 pitches in the first at bat. Hits a home run. Astros are on their way. Well, Boston's pitcher said, nah, uh, that's all you're going to get. And that's all the Strohs were able to get as they fell 5-1 to one in the rubber match at Boston. They'd lose two of three to the Sox. And they were held to two hits. One run on two hits. And half of those came with Altuve there in the very first at-bat. After that, he was lights out. Houston had no answer. And Piviet had been struggling. He was 1-4 and four on the season. But he pitched a two-hit complete game for the Red Sox. Nine innings, only one earned run. Struck out eight strokes, didn't walk a single batter. Red Sox got enough plate production. Garcia was not good yesterday. He had probably his worst outing of the season. Only lasting four innings, giving up three earned runs. Struck out four, but also walked three. The only other batter to get a hit besides Jose Altuve was Michael Brantley Jr., who we don't talk enough about. But two hits. The Murderers Row lineup was only held to two hits in one run. They were also sloppy with the glove work. Had a couple errors the Astros did. Garcia didn't pitch well. Now, once Garcia got out of the game, they were able to kind of calm things down a little bit. But they lose the midweek series, if you will, to Boston. Fall to 24-14 and 14 on the year, but still, they're heading in the right direction. They're trending in the right direction, if you will say. Boston, much-needed win to try to get their season on track. They're only now 15-22. and 22. They're 6-10 and 10 at home. They've been awful. They've been awful. But... You take down an Astros team, you take two or three, maybe this is what can turn the Red Sox fortunes around and they can maybe start turning a corner. Astros do return home. Today is a travel day for the Strohs. They're going to come back home and prepare for a three-game weekend series against the Tejas Rangers. That should be interesting. Texas had lofty expectations as well during... The summer, you know, during the preseason, rather, a lot of people thought that te- Texas was going to be far better. They spent a lot of money in free agency, and they're just eh, below expectations. Plus, Houston gets to be back at home in front of the home fans. The boxes will be erupting. It's always a good crowd when the Rangers come to town, even when the Rangers are not very good. But now we've had a couple of so-so poor starts here for the Strohs. 
you know, the last few days, they win the weekend series, but they lose Odorizzi. But then they get good news, which was excellent news concerning Jake, that the injury may not be as severe as once believed to be. There were some thoughts because of how bad he went down and how abruptly he went down coming off the mound to go cover first base over the weekend. It looked like that was going to be an ACL, MCL situation. Could have possibly lost him for the year. But the good thing is, and this is according to Chandler Rome, that Jake Odorizzi said he feared he had ruptured his Achilles tendon, but an MRI revealed only some strains and sprains of other ligaments around the ankle and foot. So it's not a knee issue. Odorisi told Chandler Rome and other media members that he will return this season and said this is the best-case scenario. He said the timeline is still unclear, but Odorisi is already off crutches. So not MCL, not ACL, already off crutches and expects to be back this year. That's great news. So you dodge a bullet there if you're the Strohs because one of the guys as part of your rotation is coming back and he does not need season-ending surgery. Awesome news there. And look, a little bit of a stumble. You'd like to see Garcia and some of the other guys pitch better. They did not. But it's a long season. It's 162 games, right? It's 162 games for a reason. Strohs will be taking the day off after dropping two of three at Boston. Once again, they'll be coming back home this weekend for a three-game set against the Texas Rangers. You can listen to Friday and Saturday's games on our sister station, News Talk 98.5 FM, the talk of Acadiana. Sunday's game going to be right here on the game. So, should be a good series. Should be an exciting series. And you know that Houston is going to, you know, had a little bit of an edge about them. And also, to be fair to the Strohs, Dusty Baker gave some guys rest. In particular, Alex Bregman had a day off yesterday for rest. Would that have made a difference? Probably so. But sometimes the team that you're playing in baseball is just, just better than you. And that was the case yesterday. Red Sox earned that win. Five to one. We got to take a timeout. But when we return here on RP3 and company, we're going to talk NBA playoffs. Western Conference Finals began last night. Golden State made quite the statement. Is that going to be a reflection of what's to come? Is this going to be a lopsided series or is this going to be a far more competitive one? Dallas has fought back in each of its playoff series to win those series. Do we overreact to game one or not? We'll talk about that next right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. We love talking about sports. Yeah. You love listening to sports. Yeah. Sounds like we were meant to be together, or at least friends with benefits. Aren't you glad you found us? 
Back to more of the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, I know the Astros lost last night and they dropped two of three to the Boston Red Sox. But you still want to see them in person. They're one of the best teams in baseball. They're going to be a contender yet again for the World Series. And look, we want to hook you up with tickets. We want you to experience watching the Houston Astros live in person inside Minute Maid Ballpark. The game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, wants to hook you up with our latest Astros weekend getaway. Houston takes on the Chicago White Sox. That's right, the Southsiders come to town Saturday, June 18th, and you can be there. Simply register in the game clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com so you can score four tickets, a tour of Minute Maid Ballpark, and hotel accommodations that Saturday night. That's right. Look, I know. Gas prices are high right now. Got to pinch your pennies. I get it. You figure out a way to get there. We're going to hook you up with four tickets, hotel night, stay, and a tour of the ballpark. Boom. How do you not want this? How could you not want to take advantage of this? Houston Astro Weekend Getaways are powered by Butcher AC, Le Meridian Houston Downtown, and the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. We have a poll question of the day. Daryl Williams, former LSU star, been playing for the Kansas City Chiefs, been a key member of that team's backfield, had more than 1,000 yards from scrimmage a year ago, last season. On the Instagram, he posted he was in New Orleans, and people went bananas crazy now you know he used to be teammates with who again oh was that tyron matthew who just signed with the saints there it is could this be yet another former lsu star coming home so to speak to play for the new orleans saints they could use a another all-purpose running back couldn't they especially with a suspension looming for Alvin Kamara. You keep that LSU pipeline going to New Orleans yet again. You address yet another need. Could it happen? Or was he simply just visiting New Orleans? Lots of speculation out there on whether or not Darrell Williams was meeting with the Saints or not. We do know he's a free agent. Obviously, he has an agent that's working on his behalf. But we've seen this before, haven't we? But our poll question of the day is, should the Saints sign running back Darrell Williams? Overwhelmingly, 89% of you say yes. 11% say no. Steve says, wow, this is a reach. This resembles a kid who asks three girls to the prom and then settles for his cousin. Not no, but absolutely no. Steve is anti Daryl Williams. Steve says, I don't want Daryl Williams on the roster. Get that mess out of here. Says Steve. I have to know why he's so adamant about not bringing in Daryl Williams. He's a Louisiana kid. Another Louisiana kid that went to LSU, 
He went undrafted, but has earned his way in the league, has earned his way into becoming something in the league, helped the Kansas City Chiefs win a Super Bowl, was a good running back, not a great one, but a good one at LSU, and is coming off a pretty good season. Pretty good season. So, I don't know. Seems like a good fit for me. To me, it seems like a good fit to me to have Daryl Williams sign with the New Orleans Saints and give them depth at running back. But Salty Steve, it's Thursday. It could be it could be Steve's a little stressed. It's Preakness Stakes week. Just saying. My man says he don't want him. Ton on Twitter says, look, we could use the extra depth, especially with Kamara's suspension looming. Worst case scenario, cut or trade him if we have too many in the running back room. John Paul Cajun Daddy with a quick comment. If he fits and he improves the room, sign him. This is what they should do with all free agents. Morning with two exclamation points. John Paul's ready to go. He's ready to get his day going. Bob Rose simply replies, friend of the station, by the way, journalist Bob Rose, shares a story from SI, says Saints could bolster running back position with free agent addition. And mentioned in that article, guess what? You ready for it? Daryl Williams. That's our poll question of the day. Should the Saints sign running back Daryl Williams, yes or no? Right now, 89% of you say yes. 11% of you say no. Says no. Let's quickly touch on the Western Conference Finals. It was a bit of a laugher last night in San Francisco as Golden State put a opened up a can of you know what on the Dallas Mavericks 112 to 87 Golden State raced out to an early 10 point lead after the first quarter and never really looked back they were in control of this game from the start they did a nice job of making sure Luka didn't go off he only had 20 points shot six of 18 from the field and Brunson who's been a big addition been the second banana so to speak to Luka during this postseason run, he shot six of 16 and only had 14 points. So they did a nice job frustrating Luka, keeping him off his game. And Golden State was just very methodical, very balanced. All five starters, double figures. Two guys off the bench got them double figures, including Poole, who came off the bench with 19 points. Steph Curry only shot three of nine from three-point range. Still led the Golden State Warriors with 21 points. Klay Thompson chipped in with 15 as well. Not a sensational performance. No one went off from the three-point line. No one had a dominant night. Not 40-plus or 50-plus. But the wily veteran squad of the Golden State Warriors took care of Luka and then went out there and put together a balanced offensive attack in picking up an easy 112 to 87 victory over the Dallas Mavericks. Now, we've seen the Mavericks go down in series all postseason long. And they always find a way. I still like Golden State to win this series. I'm not going to overreact to one game because the NBA playoffs show you that, prove that to you every year that that is a ridiculous thing to do. Don't do it. Don't overreact to one game. But when Steph and Clay don't have their best games 
and Golden State is still able to win by more than 20 points, that's a very good indicator that the Warriors have the advantage in this series. Once again, just game one. Just game one. So Warriors up one game to nothing in the Western Conference Finals. Over in the Eastern Conference Finals, Miami's up one game to none after Jimmy Butler went off for 41 points. News for Boston is this. It it appears that Marcus Smart, your defensive player of the year, is going to be able to play in game two tonight. That's going to happen. How much he's going to be limited, uh, that's another story. Because you just don't know. He was dealing with an ankle foot issue. That's not something that you easily just bounce back from. Just isn't. He's going to make a go of it. That'll make a difference because he's a great lockdown defender. But how much lateral movement is he going to be able to do? How much side-to-side is he going to be able to do? And we're talking about a foot injury for a basketball player. Always key there. And can Miami Miami continue to play at that high level? Can Jimmy Butler continue to play at that high level? So it does look like Marcus Smart is going to be able to go tonight in Game 2 of the Eastern Conference Finals. Al Horford will not. Still in COVID protocol. It's the third time he's been in that this season, by the way. Can Boston find a way to win without the big fella down low? That's going to be the big key. How healthy is Smart out there coming off the injury? And without Al Horford, can Boston find a way to steal a game in Miami and even up this series 1-1 tonight? That's the big question mark. Before we have to take our time out, let's head out to the hotline. Welcome on Chad to the show. Chad, good morning to you, brother. What's on your mind, my friend? Man, real quick, uh, uh, I would love the uh, Darrell Williams pickup to the Saints, man. You talk about a good character kid. You're bringing in good character people. That he, I mean, he's got a Super Bowl ring. He came from a great organization, and the Saints will pick him up. The guy's got a lot, a lot of tread on his tires. That was never the feature back uh, at LSU or Kansas City. It's true. Uh, and, and, man, you're just talking about somebody that uh, – a young 27-year-old uh, kid. Uh, he could be an old 27 with a lot of tread. and then I think, But I think uh, he's, got a, he's got a few more years easily – uh, in the back to play, man. But uh, that's just my comment. I think it, I think it'd be a great pickup. And whoever didn't want him, he must be a big UL fan. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for the phone call, Chad. Have a great day. Yeah, look, Daryl Williams makes a lot of sense. He's an all-purpose back for one. In the Saints' offense, you need your running backs to be what? All-purpose backs. That's what you need. You need your running backs to be all-purpose. You need them to be able to do multiple things. And that's what Daryl Williams brings to the table. He's not a sensational running back. He's not a game-changer. He's not Alvin Kamara. No one's saying that he is. Hell, he's probably not even Mark Ingram in his prime. But what the 5'11", 224-pounder is going to do for you, he's going to carry the rock when you need him to. And he's going to catch the ball. Look at what he did last year. His best year as a pro by far. 558 yards rushing, averaging 3.9 yards a pop. Scored six touchdowns on the ground. That alone would make him a good candidate to be added to the backfield to be a backup for the Saints. 
He also caught 47 passes for 452 yards and two touchdowns. This is a guy that doesn't have a lot of tread on the tires, as Chad pointed out. This is a guy that can both run with the football and catch the football coming out of the backfield. He understands what it takes to win at this level. He's won a Super Bowl championship. He's played for another. And he's a good locker room guy. This checks all the boxes. And what Mickey Loomis and company have shown us this offseason and shown you this offseason is that they can get these big-ticket free agents to come on team-friendly deals. Darrell Williams is not even a big-ticket free agent. It's not going to cost you an arm and a leg to bring in the 27-year-old to the team. You add him, now you've got Kamara, Darrell Williams, Mark Ingram, and the Abram kid out of Baylor. I like that backfield a lot. That's a really good backfield. So we'll see if they get the deal done. We'll see if they can get the deal done. A guy that's only been in the league for four years, already won a Super Bowl, multi-purpose back, has tons of playoff experience, good locker room guy. Oh, he just so happens to be a guy from, you know, Marrero. So I'm pretty sure he's familiar with the Saints. Get another guy to come home. Keep that coming. Keep that going. We'll see if the Saints can pull the trigger and make that happen. We got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and company. Oh, man. NCAA makes a decision yesterday. Are they going to be able to put that genie back in the bottle now that they've decided to not put scholarship restrictions on teams for the next two years? in Division One football. You just can't go over the number of players you have on scholarship, which is 85. But if you wanted to, you could sign 35 or 40 guys in a year. <laughs> oh, is the NCAA prepared for this? I don't think so. We're going to talk about it next. Right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. RP3 and company, we talk about the sports you know and love. Baseball, football, basketball, and soccer. Isn't this great, man? I love soccer. Here we go, Galaxy. Here we go. Okay, maybe not soccer, but we'll try to do our best. Back to more knowledgeable sports talk with RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Uh, the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles wants to hook you up with tickets to a special sneak peek of Top Gun Maverick. That's right. You can see it before anyone else by simply texting the word Top Gun to 68683. That's Top Gun to 68683 to score a pair of tickets for a special sneak peek May 26th at the Celebrity Theater in Broussard. It's the Top Gun sneak peek preview brought to you by Big Boy Toys and Hobbies and the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Once again, if you want to score tickets to a special sneak preview of Top Gun Maverick, you have to text Top Gun to 68683. 
Don't forget to vote on our poll question of the day. Should the Saints sign running back Daryl Williams? Apparently he was in New Orleans yesterday. Is he meeting with the Saints? There's speculation about that. He's a free agent. They could use a backup running back that can run and catch the ball out of the backfield. Especially with a possible suspension looming for Alvin Kamara. So we'll see. We'll see if the Saints can pull the trigger and bring yet another former LSU star home. We'll see. Let's talk about what the NCAA did yesterday. So if you missed out on this, if this flew under your radar, let me give you a slight recap here. So the D1 Council for the NCAA has decided to waive the initial counter limits, is what they call them, scholarship limits for football for the next two years. So every year, college football teams, no matter what your roster situation looks like, you're regulated to only signing 25 players per recruiting cycle. So it doesn't matter if you sign 25 of them in the early period or 25 in the later period. For one recruiting cycle, you're allowed to sign up to 25 players. But the Division I Council has decided because of the ramifications of the COVID-19 pandemic and the extra years of eligibility that were granted by them, the NCAA, due to that, that the NCAA Division I Council announced that it's waiving the initial counter scholarship limits for the next two years within Division I football, which means you can sign as many guys as you want as long as your program is under the 85 total scholarship limit. That hasn't changed. Football programs are still only going to be allowed to have 85 scholarship athletes, which is still an enormous number. But let's take LSU, for example. You know how they had such a problem even fielding a team for their bowl game because they were woefully under the limit? And even with a maxed out class that Brian Kelly's put together, they're still under where they need to be. Well, this would help teams like LSU that was in this position deal with that where you wouldn't be restricted to, I can only sign 25 guys, I can sign 40 this year if need be. What's going to be interesting to me is this. Because for years... You had to be maxed out at 25. The way you organized your roster, the way that you recruited, the way that you dealt with even recently the NCAA transfer portal was all around the guidelines, the parameters of only being able to sign 25 players during a recruiting cycle. Now that's out the door. But here's the thing. It's only for two years. So what's going to happen here? Teams are going to go absolutely buck wild with this. Make no bones about it. There are going to be kids out there that are going to have offers thrown at them that may not even be seen by colleges because colleges are going to be so desperate to increase up their numbers, they're going to be throwing out stuff left and right. 
and you're going to have massive classes, massive classes for some of these teams. Now, some teams are going to embrace this because they're losing kids to the transfer portal, right? The transfer portal is playing a huge role in this. Where you're signing guys, look at the Raging Cajuns, for example. They signed guys that played as true freshmen, and a year later they're transferring over to Florida and to TCU. You didn't even have them for a year. They're already gone. So, it has become difficult for teams. Staying under the 25 scholarship limit while also trying to complete a roster of 85 total scholarships has been more difficult because of the transfer portal. Make no bones about it. But how are you going to put this genie back in the bottle in two years? Okay, you're opening up the door. You're letting all the teams go, hey, guys, we know we're dealing with the transfer portal. We don't really have a handle on it. Let's do this. You guys can, you know, as long as you don't exceed 85 total scholarships, you can sign as many players as you want per year for the next two years. And then everyone's just going to fall in line and be like, yeah, that's great. Let's just go back to doing 25 a year. Yeah, I could be I could, could be completely wrong on this. I really could. But this is going to get this is going to become a mess. The NCAA transfer portal is already a hot mess to begin with. The way it's been put together, the way it's been executed, it is messy. It just is. Now there's not even going to be scholarship restrictions. Well. You still have the big scholarship restriction, but here's the other part about that. You're supposed to not go over 85 total, right? That's the rules from the NCAA, the governing body of college athletics. Great. Awesome. But because transfers that leave your program and enter into the portal decrease the number of scholarships available for high school prospects, despite the fact that a program might be under the 85 total limit, there is a waiver that will allow programs more flexibility over the next two academic years to fill rosters and use the scholarships how they deem fit each year. This is going to get messy. The NCAA transfer portal has already made things messy in college football. This is going to make it worse. It's not going to make it better. It's going to make it worse. And it won't be so bad right off the bat. But when we come two years down the road, the NCAA is going to have to have another decision to make. And don't be surprised if that decision is to extend it. To extend it. So we'll see. No more scholarship restrictions. Yearly scholarship restrictions. You still have to have 85 scholarship players, but for one recruiting cycle, you no longer have the number of 25 to keep you in check. That's done by the D1 Council for the NCAA. The other big news coming out for the NCAA yesterday was they went ahead and cleared the path for conferences to say you no longer have to have divisions. You no longer need to have separate divisions in your conference to determine who's going to play for the conference championship. The Pac-12 didn't even wait until the email was sent out to everyone about the NCAA's decision. The Pac-12 said, we're done with it. Thank you. Bye-bye. They're no longer going to do divisions immediately for this coming season. 
not doing divisions. They will pick the two best teams, the two teams with the best records in their conference. Those two teams will play with each other. Even if it's USC versus UCLA or whatever it might be, Cal versus Stanford, it does not matter. If those are the two best teams in the conference, those will be the two best teams that will play each other for the conference championship. They will still play the championship game. They will just simply not be divided into divisions. Pac-12 wasting no time implementing that immediately for this coming season. Will other conferences follow suit? I can see the Big 12 doing this. Will the SEC do this? Will the SEC do this? Well, we'll have to find out. We got to take a timeout. We'll update our poll question of the day when we wrap up our number one coming up next. You're listening to the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. The game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles wants to upgrade your experience for Downtown Rising with the ultimate Downtown Rising VIP experience. Look, you can score a pair of VIP passes for Downtown Rising plus a chance to meet the headliners, the Cold War kids. That's right. Get a selfie with them, maybe get an autograph, do some Snapchat filters, whatever you would want to do with the Cold War kids, as long as they're down with it. Obviously, you got to respect their privacy. Simply register in the Game Rewards Club right now at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com to win VIP passes for Downtown Rising featuring Cold War Kids on Saturday, June the 4th. The ultimate Downtown Rising VIP experience is presented by Social Entertainment, Radar Solutions, Louisiana Raging Cajuns, and The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. And look, if you don't win the VIP passes by becoming a member of our clubhouse. I have tickets for Downtown Rising. We're going to give them away right before 7.30 this morning. It's going to be a Raging Cajun-related trivia question. You call in, be the first to call in with the correct answer. Game hotline 337-706-0111. You're going to score a pair of tickets to go see the Cold War kids at Downtown Rising. But you got to make sure to answer it correctly and be the first one to call in. Let's check in on that poll question of the day. Lots of rumors about Daryl Williams possibly coming home, the former or the Marrero native and former LSU star running back, multi purpose back, had over a thousand yards from scrimmage last year and nine touchdowns for the Kansas City Chiefs has won a Super Bowl with them, played for them for four years. He's a free agent. He came in to New Orleans. Does that mean that he was visiting with the Saints? Was he being interviewed by the Saints? We don't know. Lots of speculation going on that that could be the latest in the LSU pipeline to the Saints this free agency period for the black and gold. But we asked you with our poll question of the day, should the Saints sign running back Darrell Williams? 81% of you say yes, 19% of you say no. JPK, the OD, with the comment here. Sure, whatever. At least then they may finally cut Tony Jones Jr. I'd rather see them sign some rotational help on the D-line. But JPK, the OD, my friend, they did that. 
brought in Taco Charlton, Condavious Street, and they drafted a kid in the sixth round as a rotational defensive lineman. So I wouldn't mind to see the Saints add another guy. I get that. But they've already signed up a couple of guys that are going to be deep bench guys, rotational guys. So it's not as if they haven't addressed the issue there on the defensive line. Brad on Twitter says, absolutely, at this point in their careers, Daryl Williams is a better running back than Ingram. and He's more versatile. Don't overpay, but sign him if they can. And they've proven that they're not overpaying for these guys. They didn't overpay for Tyron Matthew. They didn't overpay for Jarvis Landry. Both of those deals are team-friendly and don't break the bank. So keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Should the Saints be aggressive and go out and sign Daryl Williams and add him to their running back room. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Oh, 657. That means our number one is in the books. But don't be sad. Don't be sad. We got two more hours of RP3 and company. Hour number two coming up after this timeout. You're listening to the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Welcome back to RP3 and Company 703 on this Thursday morning. Coming up half an hour from right now, Connor O'Gara, our friend from Saturday Down South, will join us, get his reaction on the NCAA Division I Council deciding to not limit yearly scholarship restrictions for Division I football. Also, the Pac-12 deciding to eliminate divisions in its own conference. He'll still play a conference championship game. It'll just be against the two top teams in the standings. Will other conferences follow? And what does Connor make of Nick Saban? Just saying that Texas A&M paid all its players during this last recruiting cycle. And I'll say this as well. This whole thing with NIL and this whole thing of not having the scholarships and everything, I, I saw something that our friend Ralph Marlboro from the Saints Happy Hour podcast put out there. And he's not wrong. He just really isn't. He said something to the likes of Nick Saban's warning all of y'all that he's about to drop like a billion dollars into NIL deals. Good luck. I mean, that's he's kind of not wrong. It just kind of not wrong. So, we'll see. Yeah, Ralph said, Nick Saban's basically threatening to drop a money nuclear bomb on college football. Alabama fixing to have a billion-dollar NII fund. If you, think that, if you think they can't, you don't understand the state of Alabama's commitment to football. 
So, yeah, that's kind of a, uh, yeah. <laughs> Look, it, there was lots of talk about Texas A&M during this last recruiting cycle. We heard it early, early. Do I know if they're paying all those kids, if all the kids have NIL deals or if they're getting paid? I don't know. I mean, Bryce Young had a million-dollar NIL deal to go to Alabama before he even threw a pass. This is the world we live in now, where kids are getting paid before they even step onto a football field. This is what we had the one kid go to Ohio State, had a million-dollar NIL deal. The quarterback never took a snap, didn't play, then transfers after a year and is going somewhere else. He still got the one million dollars. This is what this is the world we live in. It's the wild, wild west. It just is. And I'm telling you, the the scholarship restrictions thing, you just made it messier. We'll talk all about that with Connor O'Gara, who will join us half an hour from right now at 7:30. We do have a poll question of the day for you to go vote on. And I'm surprised by these votes. And I'm surprised by these comments. I'm not going to lie to you. I thought this was going to be an easy slam dunk type of poll question of the day. But the Houdad Nation keeps me on my toes. And I thank you for that. Daryl Williams, former LSU running back, never a star at LSU, always had to split time, right? He was never the guy. You never thought of him as a great running back. He had moments, but he was never a stud. But... He has carved out a nice career in the National Football League, went undrafted, proved himself, earned a spot on the roster. Always loved those guys. Spent the last four years with the Kansas City Chiefs, won a Super Bowl, played in another. Last year, his best year as a pro, more than 1,000 yards from scrimmage, nearly double-digit total touchdowns. Guy can catch the ball, and he can block, and he can run. And he's a Louisiana kid. And he went to LSU. And you can get him on an affordable rate because you're not going to have to overpay him. A, because he's never really been a full-time starter in the National Football League. Also, the running back market is not very good. This checks all the boxes. Team first guy, check. From the state of Louisiana, check. Played with Tyron Matthew. Another former LSU guy that the Saints signed. Check. Can run the football. Check. Can catch the football. Check. Doesn't have a lot of wear and tear on his body. Check. You're going to be able to sign him on the cheap. Check. I just gave you seven things. And yet some of you are surprising me this morning. I'm here for it. I like to be kept on my toes. Because we asked you, should the Saints sign running back Daryl Williams? Only 82% of you say yes. 18% of you are saying no. Some of you are indifferent. JPK, the OD, is like, eh, whatever. Steve says no. Steve's against it. I don't get it. Check out Darren, number one Raging Cajun fan of RP3 and company, who's decided this morning to pause the back and forth with me about the NBA playoffs in Zion Williamson. (laughs) <laughs> and says Trey Regis checks all the boxes. I agree. Look, if you don't get Daryl Williams, go get you Trey Regis. Hey, go get you Elijah McGuire. Both of those guys could play for the Saints. You telling me 
either one of those guys are just as good or as better than Tony Jones Jr. or Dwayne Washington. So you miss out on uh, Daryl Williams? Go get you Trey Regis. I was really surprised by the Raiders last year. I thought for sure the way he played in the postseason, he was their best running back. Now, they had eight of them. They were just collecting running backs, so it never really made sense to me why they even signed Trey Regis, who went undrafted, the former Raging Cajun star. But it's just one of those things where the team's like, oh, we'll take this. We'll have, go, oh, give us some more. Give us some more guys. Yeah, we need more running backs. How many we have? Add two more. Let, let's get another. Which is great. But Regis can play, man. Regis can play in this league. Make no bones about it. But don't let Cajun or LSU bias get in the way of acknowledging that Signing someone like Daryl Williams makes a lot of sense for the Saints. He checks all the boxes. All the boxes that this team needs at that position because you need another guy at that position, he checks all the boxes. And you're not going to have to break the bank on him. You didn't overpay for the Honey Badger. You didn't overpay for Jarvis Landry. What makes you think that you're going to overpay for Daryl Williams? He's a running back who splits time. It's 2022. You don't overpay for running backs anymore. It just doesn't have to. Come on now. Not how it happens. Get to some more comments here. On Facebook, Nick says, yes, but I'm pretty sure he's from NOLA. That's correct. I do believe he went to John Errett. Paul says, with the efficient comment, yes! Keep those comments coming on our poll question today. Keep those votes coming. Now, we got people that want to express themselves through the invention of the telephone. So let's head out to the hotline. Welcome on Mr. Green to the show, who's counting down the days when he doesn't have to deal with children anymore in a school setting. Jamie, good morning to you, bud. What's on your mind? Good morning, sir. Five. The magic number is five. Five more days. <laughs> five, five more days, bud. Five more days. And one of those days is awards day. So that that's not even really a day, but continue. <laughs> Look, before I get into my comment, I'll just say this. Nobody overpays for running backs unless you're the Dallas Cowboys. All right, so moving on. Um, <laughs> uh, J- Jamie, of- I'm always here for Cowboy slander, by the way. Thank you for that. <laughs> I'm always here to give it. Kind of like uh, La Tech. Anyway, um, here's the thing. As a Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan, for the love of all things holy, stop signing people. Dear <laughs> Lord, Stop. <laughs> Just stop. You don't need any more. You don't need – you're already going to dominate the NFC South. Just leave it alone. Okay, I feel better. Um, you're, 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 do, you're welcome, bud. I'm glad we could be here for your therapy session. Look, man, it, it, you woke me up this morning. Uh, <laughs> you brought back Fournette, though, bud. You were able to bring back Leonard Fournette. He didn't go elsewhere. The Patriots tried to sign him, and your Bucks were able to bring him back. That's a good move. Yay, one compared to, like, 90. Okay. I do have a question, though, for uh, for you about, like, the scholarship and NIL stuff. So, I know there's a limit. You can only have, what, 85 scholarship players total, correct? Yeah, Something per like year. Per, per year, you can only have a total of 85 football players on scholarship. Yes. Okay. But is there a number that uh, you can – is there a number that's a cap of players who are not on scholarship? I do not believe so. You can have as many walk-ons, I, I think, as as possible. I mean, there's some teams that have more than 100 guys on the, the technically the roster. 
okay, so what's to stop these coaches from going, okay, well, we're going to get you this NIL deal. You don't have to worry about the scholarship because you're going to be making X amount of money. And exactly. Just keep loading up, and you got these guys <laughs> that are five stars that maybe aren't on scholarship necessarily, but they still got those NIL deals making just as much, if not more. Hey, and the other way around that as well, check this out. You could just be able to funnel money through your actual institution and give kids quote-unquote academic scholarships. That way they're not on an athletic scholarship, they're on an academic scholarship. And that doesn't count. Yeah, they've tried doing that for years, and then the players just don't follow with uh, academic requirements for those academic Oh, uh, I know, I know. matters. Yeah, but there's all there's going to be all types of ways around it, brother. You're right, you're right. Appreciate the phone call, right, Jamie. Well, Have a great day, brother. Uh, y'all too, take care. Let's head back out to the hotline. Welcome on Brent to the show. Brent, good morning to you, bud. What's on your mind, my friend? Y'all too, take care. Let's head back out to the hotline. Welcome on Brent to the show. Brent, good morning to you, bud. What's on your mind, my friend? Yeah, how's it going? Hey, Brent. I just need you to turn down the radio a little bit, bud. Okay, we're getting some feedback. Yeah, I just turned it off, sir. All right, bud. What's on your mind, brother? I just wanted to. You said some. You like to keep you on your toes. Yes. I think. Uh, I think the Astros series with the Rangers starts tonight. They play four games, not just not three. Oh, this man says they. This man says they playing tonight. This man says they're playing tonight. Now, see, I thought they had a travel day. I'm gonna have to. To confirm on that, brother. I'm going to have to confirm on that. Thank you for the phone call. Okay, you know, I want to keep you on your toes like you said. <laughs> I appreciate it, bud. Thank you. Got to keep me on my toes. Wrapped up the Red Sox series. Let me double check that. Let's see. Let's see. He is correct. They do start tonight. It is a four-game series. Shout out to Brent. Shout out to Brent. Thank you, bud. So yes, Strohs at home. Oh, that's oh, that's uh, that that's that that's a little Paul Bond. I'm not gonna lie to you, because it was not a day game yesterday. So they're not traveling back. They flew back from Boston last night into Houston, and have to turn around and play today. See, I just assumed that they were having the travel day because they were coming in from the East Coast. But not so much. So Strohs are actually going to be hosting the Rangers tonight. And looking at the schedule, that leads us down a rabbit hole. They don't have a break until the 26th. That's kind of brutal, man. That's brutal. Let's look at that. Major League Baseball not doing them any favors whatsoever. So you look at their schedule, and they're really not going to have a break until the 26th? Wow. Wow. That is absolutely brutal. Because they haven't had a day off. I'm trying to see when the last time the Astros actually had a day off. That would have been Monday the 9th. They were off for travel because they wrapped up their series against the Tigers that Sunday and then went and started the road trip at Minnesota. So they had Monday, May the 9th as an off day. They've played games every day since then. They're playing tonight because that is a four-game set against the Rangers, and then they won't have another day off until Thursday the 26th. So... 
from the 9th to the 26th. They're playing a game every day. Wow. Valdez will be the starter, by the way, for the Strohs tonight. 7-10 first pitch. You can listen to that game on our sister station, News Talk 98.5 FM, the talk of Acadiana. Rangers at Astros. How is that po- that That's the schedule quirk because of the lockout and them still getting the 162 games in. Oh, man, that is brutal. That's nearly a month without a game, without a day off. Oof, that is not great in the schedule. Appreciate Brent for the phone call. But back to the Saints and Daryl Williams. Look, Daryl Williams, though, is the type of player that they need to get. You know, Darren brings up Trey Regas. That's a good, that's a good choice as well. It's a good choice as well. They need to bring in somebody that can be a multi-purpose back that they're not going to break the bank on. That's what they need to do. That's absolutely what they need to do. We got to take a timeout. But before we do so, I need to tell you about my friends over at Lafayette Marble and Granite. Oh, man. They're going to take care of you. Look, they are the South's largest culture marble factory, and they pride themselves on earning your business. And you already know that LMG provides show-stopping marble countertops for your kitchens and your bathrooms. But here's the thing. That outdoor living area, the area that you like to congregate during the fall for football, have the friends over, watch the Cowboys or the Saints, or the Cajuns or the Tigers, your man cave area, guess what? They can take that and make it the envy of your neighborhood. That's what they do. Go visit their website, lmgelite.com. That's lmgelite.com to learn more about all the sensational services and the great products that they have to offer. Live inventory, guess what? It's updated every Wednesday. Just go visit their website, lmgelite.com. That's lmgelite.com. Or... Just stop by their showroom located right there on I-49 North across from Hub City Ford and the Jockey Lot. Lafayette Marble and Granite. They're looking to earn your business, and trust me, earn it, they will. we got to take a timeout. More RP3 and company coming up right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. some hosts that talk like they know everything but you don't have to worry about our guy rp3 what you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things i have ever heard that's because he never knows what he's talking about everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it back to the show in the know rp3 and company on the game 1037 lafayette and 1041 lake charles southwest louisiana's sports station LSU, UL, final regular weekend series, or final series of the regular season. They'll do that starting today, tonight. LSU is headed to Nashville to take on Vanderbilt. Commodores have won five of their last six weekend series. Vandy has put itself in a position to possibly even be a regional host from 
Baseball America, LSU's all the way down to a three seed right now. Big series for the Tigers. Jay Johnson's team, look, we've talked about it at nauseum. They can rake, they can hit like it's nobody's business. The pitching is the big question mark. Hilliard's a good pitcher. Is he great? No. Is he good enough to get the job done for the Tigers like he's done all season? You bet. Who else is going to step up, though? Who else is going to step up? This is still an NCAA regional team. Even if they get swept by Vandy this weekend and only win maybe one game at the SEC tournament, LSU's still making the field. But they could improve their standing. They could improve their seeding, rather, greatly if they can find a way to go into Nashville and take two of three. That begins today, tonight. Because all the SEC teams are playing Thursday through Saturday series to wrap it up so they can get the SEC tournament bracket field done this weekend and get it prepared. Because guess what? SEC tournament next week. They'll start playing games on Wednesday, Tuesday and Wednesday of next week. So that's why they're wrapping up early on Saturday. Once again, LSU 34-18 and 18 overall. 14 and 13 in conference play. A lot of people, a lot of experts, Kendall Rogers and others tell you, getting to 15, 16 wins in SEC play, having a winning record in the SEC overall is going to be key to making the NCAA tournament, making the field, and also goes a long way if you can get to maybe 16 to 17 wins to hosting a regional but LSU will try to do that against Vandy as they wrap up, wrap up their regular season. Tonight's game is first pitch, 7 o'clock. Pre-game will begin at 6.30. LSU at Vandy. Pre-game starts at 6.30. First pitch scheduled for 7 o'clock. The McNeese Cowboys, meanwhile, well, they're going to kick off Southland Conference Tournament play, and they'll do so tonight. They're the one seed in the Southland Conference bracket, and they're going to be hosting half of the bracket at the Joe, at Joe Miller Ballpark. They're taking on the number eight seed Incarnate Word tonight at the Joe. It's a 1 8 matchup. And for McNeese, what's at stake is this. Look, Justin Hill tonight can tie the late great Tony Robichaux for most wins all time at McNeese. That's a big deal. That's a huge deal, right? But also. The Southland's going to be a one-bid league. So whoever wins the conference tournament is going to get into the regional. McNeese needs to win its conference tournament to get back to a regional for the third straight year under Justin Hill. They're going to be at home, and that's great. But the thing with the Southland that's interesting this year is that so the bracket's been split into two different sites. The two top seeds get to host. So Southeastern's hosting half the bracket. McNeese is hosting the other half. But the the tournament will not be resolved this weekend. Just the winners of those brackets will be resolved this weekend. And then those two winners are going to play a best of three series next weekend. So plenty of work to be done. McNeese will try to begin that run starting today when they take on Incarnate Word there at the Joe. Six six o'clock first pitch. Then there's the Raging Cajuns. Hello, Kay Jones. Little Rock's not very good. Little Rock is actually, let's be honest, Paul Ball. 
But for the Cajuns, who beat Nichols on Tuesday night, they're trying to build some momentum. Jay Walker has told us, the longtime voice of the Raging Cajuns, that the Cajuns are going to have to win the Sun Belt Conference Tournament to get into an NCAA regional. Their RPI is good. They're right there on the bubble. Make no bones about it. But Jay seems to think because the Cajuns are going to be locked in as the four seed, if they win tonight against Little Rock, that will lock up the four seed for the conference tournament next week in Montgomery. And then you're going to see possibly them play a lot of other players, use multiple pitchers to get them reps before the conference tournament, that 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 Matt Deggs is going to set up his team to start playing in the tournament because they need to win the tournament. They lock up the four seed. Saturday's game really doesn't matter. It's not going to help them. They're not going to be able to catch the three seed. So they're going to have to locked into the four. Do you rest guys? Do you just get mentally prepared and put your rotation in place, get everything set for the conference tournament? I could see them doing that. I could see them doing that in a big way. But they'll welcome in Little Rock to the Teague there at Russo Park tonight. First pitch set for 6 o'clock. Coming up in a few minutes, Connor O'Gara from Saturday Down South is going to join us, talk the NCAA's decision by the Division I Council, rather, to eliminate scholarship restrictions at 25 for the next two years, get his reaction from Nick Saban, saying that Jimbo Fisher paid a bunch of players, <laughs> and conferences deciding to split up and have the ability not to use divisions anymore. That's what the Pac-12 has already done. They did it immediately after things got finalized yesterday. They jumped on it. They said, we're not doing divisions anymore. We're taking the top two teams in the standings and being done with it. Will other conferences follow suit? That's the interesting part. But before we bring on Connor after the timeout, we got downtown rising tickets to give away. That's right. You want to see the Cold War kids perform at downtown rising in a few weeks? We got your free tickets. We've been doing this all week on RP3 and Company, and on Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh. And I got two more tickets burning a hole in my back pocket that got your name written all over them. But you got to answer this trivia question. The first to answer this correctly by calling the game hotline 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. You're going to win two tickets to go see the Cold War kids in downtown Rising. Your trivia question this morning for those downtown rising tickets is the following. Who is the highest drafted player in Raging Cajuns football history? Once again, who is the highest drafted player in Raging Cajuns football history? There's some good choices here, and they were all drafted around the same number, but only one of them was drafted the highest. Who's the highest drafted player in Raging Cajun football history? That's our trivia question. You answer it correctly. You will win two tickets to Downtown Rising featuring the Cold War kids. But you got to call us on the game hotline, 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. We got to take a timeout. You're listening to the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station.
time to open up the vault for the games this day in sports history. May 19, 1909. In his first title defense, Jack Johnson fights Jack O'Brien to a no decision in six rounds in Philadelphia to retain his world heavyweight crown. That was this day in sports history. We now return to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Uh, the D1 Council decides to make a move, an expected move, but a move that could, uh, I don't know, shake things up or make things far more messier when it comes to the world of college football with their decision yesterday to eliminate the restrictions of signing only up to 25 players per recruiting class for the next two years. How's that going to impact the world of college football? How's the decision to allow conferences to eliminate divisions in their own conferences, which the Pac-12 immediately did yesterday? And Nick Saban feuding with Jimbo Fisher. Oh, man. Gotta love college football. It never stops. To break it all down for us is our first guest today. He's the award-winning columnist reporter for Saturday Down South. He's our good friend, the one and only Mr. Connor O'Gara. Connor, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? Uh, doing well. Just another mid-May day in college football. Nothing really to talk about. <laughs> uh, it, it's, it's unbelievable. I mean, you see a comment like that, and that's one of those. The, the saving stuff, I mean, last night when that came out, uh, I'm sure everybody is, is looking around going, wait, did, did he actually say this in the, this world where fake quotes can kind of, you know, they, they can kind of run amok, and we, we see them all over the place now, like uh, – seeing something like that just kind of makes you do a double take and even a triple take. And uh, I'm just kind of amazed that, that we're seeing such transparency from, uh, from the Alabama head coach. We we're starting to see a lot more of that in recent years. Haven't we? It's, it feels that way with how he's seemingly more unfiltered and he's a lot of people say he's warning everyone. Like every time he opens up the microphone, he warns you about what's about to happen to the sport and what in particular what Alabama is going to be doing uh why do you think that is um I think there's there's definitely an amount like I think there's definitely part of Saban that's saying this is a warning and he's trying to illustrate that there is just no sort of enforcement whatsoever I think that was the biggest thing that he was trying to drive home with that point and what he said five days ago, even on Paul Feinbaum show, where he's talking about, you know, I want to get back to, to parody in college football. And everybody's like, what are you talking about? You're the reason, like, we don't have parody. You're, you're the prime example. And everybody says that it's, it's not an even playing field. And so I think that he's trying to show the college football world there's nothing enforcing this. There are no guardrails. This NIL is is really pay for play, and he's saying that Jimbo Fisher has essentially bought his recruiting class and gone around whatever rules there are. But to me, I, I look at this and I, I think, well, he better he better be really confident in, in his own recruiting and not necessarily get caught up in like, hey, what what are other people doing? What's Jimbo Fisher doing? Because 
people are going to come after him now. When you when you make a statement like that, it's not that Saban has any trouble defending himself. He's 70 years old. He can handle himself just fine, and he understands the repercussions of his actions. But at the same time, to say that, that Jimbo bought his entire class and that you didn't pay anyone and that you didn't have any NIL deals, I mean, a little less than a year ago, you're bragging about how Bryce Young has – over a million in NIL earnings before he ever starts a game at Alabama. So what are we really doing here? I get what Saban's trying to say in terms of like, oh, well, you know, it's different if guys get here and then they get NIL deals set up as opposed to saying here's essentially a contract to come play here. Uh, and I think that's the point he's trying to make. But at the same time, it's ridiculous. If I'm Jimbo Fisher, I'm coming out and I'm, I'm, I'm coming out with, it, with something today saying, look, I understand that NIL, and he's the the misstep that Jimbo made was saying that NIL uh, didn't have any impact on this recruiting class. Give me a break, all right? That, that's ridiculous. That's absolutely ridiculous. It's also ridiculous to think that he paid thirty million dollars for this recruiting class when that's that's message board stuff that we've seen that the deals that have been lined up, but at the same time to come out and say something like that is is absurd now there's a difference between having 30 million dollars for a recruiting class and actually having some nil opportunities set up and having some sort of a contract in place it looks like jimbo fisher has the latter based on what we've seen but david went for it and uh this is uh going to have a ripple effect across college football yeah it, it is and here's the other it leads us to this other point and i understand that NIL is here to stay, and they're going to struggle to try to, you know, get a harness on things, Connor. But now we're going to do the scholarship restrictions. We're going to remove those yet again. The NCAA said, hey, you can have extra years of eligibility because of COVID. Now they're saying, okay, now we have to adjust to that. So now we're going to remove the scholarship restrictions per year. You still can't go over 85 total, but you can assign as many guys as you want how are they going to put this genie back in the bottle in a couple of years? Or are they going to be able to do so at all? They're not. There's, there's no way. I mean, when the NCAA says that they're going to start uh, getting after collectives, okay, bring it on, man. Like, you know what? You're the same organization that literally said in a statement that you were overwhelmed by the transfer portal waiver wire process and you couldn't handle it, and therefore you just open it up to the one-time exemption thing because you didn't want to handle waiver requests. And meanwhile, you're investigating Nebraska for a special teams analyst, an investigation that, that took a year to conduct. You really think that you're going to be able to crack down on these collectives and these programs that have their ducks in a row when it comes to NIL, when it comes to being able to, to facilitate earnings for these players? give me a break. Like there's no way. And I, I think that everybody's looking at the NCAA and just kind of rolling their eyes. Like, all right, whatever they can do, whatever they want. They can say whatever they want. What are they actually going to do? And I think that Saban is essentially saying you have to do something right. NCAA, you either have to do something or we have to get, we have to break away and we have to have some sort of enforcement because there isn't that right now. And that's maybe the bigger picture thing. And Jimbo Fisher is kind of the casualty of this, but there are so many different layers to this that I think we're seeing less and less restrictions because there were too many restrictions, right? There absolutely were. The fact that they didn't have some sort of federal legislation for NIL is why this got to this point. And that's the reason that we've reached this place where it feels like roster management is just a total mess. And without these scholarship limitations now, well, I guess there are still 85 scholarship limitations. They're essentially saying, hey, you want to offer 500 kids and have a mess on your hands? 
go ahead, be our guest. Even though that's not supposed to be the point of amateur athletics, amateurism is out the door at this point. And I think we're going to see this situation go from um, go from messy to just catastrophically messy in a hurry. Talking with Connor O'Gara of Saturday Down South, he joins us here on RP3 and Company, talking the state of college football. So they make this decision, another big decision, and it's kind of got, you know, kind of just uh, overlooked, in my opinion, is the fact that they've decided to eliminate divisions. If you're a conference and you decide you no longer want to have divisions in your own conference, guess what? You don't have to have it. The Pac-12 immediately pounced on this, and they're the first to the party, and they're like, great, good, we're done with that nonsense. Why do you believe they did this for one, Connor, the, the NCAA? And secondly, do you expect all the other conferences to follow suit? Yeah, I, I do. Um, I, I think they made this move because if they're going to have any sort of expansion or, or whatever with the playoff, I think it just kind of makes sense with the way that these, these conferences are set up. And I think that there are certain conferences who have, who have requested this. And I think the Big 12 now, the Big 12 is looking like it's going to be a 14-team league next year. And the next two years, really, and they're going to have this awkward period where Texas and Oklahoma are still a part of the conference because let's not forget that Cincinnati is joining. We're going to see Houston. We're going to see UCF. And, oh, by the way, so is BYU. That's kind of the loss in the shuffle deal with this whole thing of like, hey, if those, if those four teams right there are going to be joining next year, like that, that all of a sudden changes your scheduling model and the way that that breaks down. They have had the round robin because that's their only option with, with conference scheduling. But I think that everybody's going to do away with divisions and maybe we'll see pods with the SEC. I personally hope we don't see pods with the SEC. And the SEC has to come up with its own model. I mean, let, let's not forget that. You can't just copy the ACC because if you're the SEC, you're going to have a 16-team model. Okay, That's going to impact the way that we're going to talk about the SEC East versus the SEC West moving forward. I doubt we're going to have the SEC East and SEC West because when Texas and Oklahoma come to the conference, do you really think that they're going to get further away from playing these teams in your own conference? I mean, it's a joke to think that Georgia is not going to travel to College Station as, as, as since until 2024. All right, they have not been to College Station since A&M has been in the SEC. That, that shouldn't happen. What's the point of being in the same conference? if that's the way that these teams are going to break down. So I, I'm, I'm much more in favor of having the one permanent rivalry and then having the seven rotating home and homes so that you at least get to go everywhere in the SEC in a four-year stretch. But it looks like we're doing away with divisions right now. How quickly do you think that's going to happen with the other conferences, Connor? Uh, I think the Big Ten needs to do it soon, but I actually, you know, expecting Kevin Warren to, to pounce on something is, <laughs> I mean, good luck. That's no. like waiting on the world to change. Um, look, the, knowing the Big Ten, they're probably going to wait and see how this plays out in the Pac-12, even though the Big Ten is the conference that needs to do it the most. The Big Ten is the conference that went from eight games for a conference schedule to nine games because it wanted to sell a better TV package. And then it goes from eight games to nine games in 2016. What happens the next three years? The Big Ten Conference champion gets left out of the college football playoff. Three consecutive years of that. The Big Ten has the most power-heavy, uh, lopsided divisions that we've seen. Everybody talks about, oh, you know, the SEC, we, the SEC East compared to the SEC West. It's a different story. At least the SEC East has Georgia. All right, SEC West has Wisconsin. 
Wisconsin and nine and three Iowa. Cool, great, wonderful. Like, what are, what are we really talking about here? The SEC at least has some sort of a balance now because Georgia's a legit contender. The Big Ten West does not have that, and the Big Ten West has zero teams that have made a playoff berth. Meanwhile, the Big Ten East has had three. And in my opinion, they should have had four because 2016 Penn State was snubbed and they should have made it in over Ohio State, that team that got blasted in the semifinal 31 and nothing by Clemson. But my point is that you need to be able to recognize, and the ACC, I think, has recognized this as well with the Coastal. There's no point in having divisions if you're not giving yourself the best possible chance at having a team that's halfway decent in the playoff. And to be able to have a conference championship that's actually competitive is going to matter in this new era of college football. Wrapping up our conversation with Connor O'Gara from Saturday Down South. He joins us here in RP3 and Company talking all things college football. All right, bud, take away the Saban, you know, nuclear bomb that he dropped uh, yesterday. Uh, And obviously we'll talk about that to death for weeks to come. Give me the thing that you're kind of keeping your eye on. Maybe it's a program, maybe it's a conference or just something in the sport that you're really paying attention to as we start gearing up for media days in July. Um, I mean, whether or not this is going to be Saban's last year is, is becoming more and more interesting. I realize that's kind of related to what we're talking about. Um, that, that subject is, is one that I think will get played. At this time last year, I was saying that I, I think a lot more people are going to be talking about Cincinnati in the college football playoff, and I predicted Cincinnati to make the playoff, not to brag or anything like that, because Lord knows I had Clemson winning a national championship, and we saw how that turned out. But... I will say that I think that there are a couple of different things that that I'll have my eye on. These year one coaches are fascinating. I don't know if we've ever seen a time like this where there are so many year one coaches at what we expect to be contending programs nationally. And that's why kind of filling out these rankings, if you filled out a top 10, a way too early top 10, you get to number four and you realize, man, this is brutal. This is absolutely brutal because there are questions all over the place. You've got first-year coaches at places like Florida, LSU, Miami, USC, Oregon, all these teams that are usually in the mix in that 5 to 10 range. Oklahoma, another one of those teams. How are the, Notre Dame, how are those teams going to look year one? And even what about Clemson? Clemson's had the same defensive coordinator, offensive coordinator, since 2014, same primary play callers on that side of the ball since 2014. And Dabo Sweeney's looking around. He doesn't even have his athletic director there anymore. What's he going to look like this year as he continues to to turn a blind eye to the transfer portal and not embrace that? There, there are just storylines galore. I think that Clemson one's really interesting, though, because I, I don't think Clemson's going to have a 2020s like they did, you know, rivaling what they did in the 2010s. So I'm very interested to kind of see the way that plays out and just what that looks like with all those programs in that like five to 10 range that we have questions about. Connor, appreciate your time as always, brother. Keep up the tremendous work that you guys are doing over there at Saturday Down South. We'll talk to you soon, my friend. Enjoy your weekend. Absolutely. Appreciate it, man. Yeah, there's been a lot of talk about whether or not this is going to be Saban's last year and the Dabo thing. Clemson could be on a downturn. They really could be. Great stuff there with Connor O'Gara from Saturday Down South. We got to take a timeout. When we return, we'll wrap up our number two here on RP3 and Company. You're listening to the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. 
Summer is here, so let's kickstart it together at Lowe's. Shop on Memorial Day Savings, where you'll find everything you need under the sun. Protect your soil with a bag of our premium color mulch at a new low price of $2.98. Keep your yard in summer shape and save $20 with your choice of Craftsman blower or trimmer. Was $119, now just $99. The savings are heating up this Memorial Day at Lowe's. Home to any budget, home to any possibility. Valid 519 through 525. While supplies last. Selection varies by location. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii. Poll question of the day. Daryl Williams, the former LSU running back and Kansas City Chief Super Bowl champion, all-purpose back, was in New Orleans yesterday. Lots of speculation about him meeting with the Saints, the Saints possibly looking at him to sign him to add them to their backfield. That is a need still, even after the draft and what they've done in free agency. So we asked you, should the Saints sign running back Daryl Williams? 82% of you say yes right now. 18% of you say, no, thank you. No, thank you. I think it makes a lot of sense. You want an all-purpose guy. This is a guy from the state of Louisiana. He played with Tyron Matthews, so you already have a relationship there. He's known as a good locker room guy. He already knows that he's not going to be the dude. He already understands that he's going to be splitting time, that he's going to be a backup. He also catches the ball well out of the backfield. He can run the ball. He can block. Checks all the boxes. And he's only 27. And the fact that he split carries at LSU and split carries essentially his time in the NFL, even though he had seven starts this past season because Clyde Edwards-Hilaire suffered that injury, he doesn't have a lot of wear and tear on him. This should be a slam dunk if the Saints can do it. And you're not going to break the bank for a running back because the market is not very good because the running back position has been devalued. You add a versatile back, and you can probably do it on the cheap. This should be a slam dunk, runaway yes here. But 82% of you say yes, 18% say no. Keep voting on our poll question of the day. Hour number two in the books. Hour number three. We're going to kick it off with Les East of CrescentCitySports.com. Talking Saints, talking Pels. That's next right here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Our number three has arrived here on RP3 and Company. Emil, my crawfish pie. Don't be sad, though. It's the final hour. But we're going to make it count. You're going to enjoy yourself. And we appreciate you making us part of your morning commute to school and work here in southwest Louisiana, whether you're in Acadiana or over in Lake Charles. Thank you for listening to us. Remember, you can also take us with with you wherever you may go by simply downloading the Game Mobile app for Android or Apple devices. That way you can take us coast to coast. 
Good show so far. Don't forget to vote on our poll question of the day. Should the Saints sign Daryl Williams, the free agent running back and former LSU player? Coming up in a half hour from right now, Michael Schwab will join us from the Juice Box Journal. He covers the Houston Astros for a living. So we're going to talk all things Shros with Michael coming up in a half hour from right now. He'll be making his RP3 and company debut. But right now it's time for us to talk Saints, Pelicans, with a man who's long been on our airwaves with yours truly the big, bald, and beautiful one. It's our good friend, the award-winning columnist reporter for CrescentCitySports.com, Mr. Les East. Les, good morning to you, brother. How are you on this Thursday morning? Doing well, Raymond. How are you? I'm doing stupendous. I'm talking to you, bud. So my day automatically just got better. How about that? Wow, stupendous. <laughs> That's uh, pretty remarkable. <laughs> Thank you, Les. Uh, all right, but let's let's start with Saints talk first. Uh, Daryl Williams is in New Orleans. That's not surprising because he's from, wait for it, Marrero. So it's not a stretch for him to be in New Orleans, but lots of speculation about the former LSU running back and, and uh, Kansas City Chiefs running back possibly being targeted by the New Orleans Saints. Do you believe he's a viable option, and do you think there's mutual interest between the Saints and Williams? Yeah, I think there is. Um, you know, Mickey Loomis said after the draft that uh, they would like to add another running back. They didn't necessarily have to, but the uh, uncertainty over Alvin Kamara's um, probable disciplinary action over his arrest in Las Vegas uh, means they could be without him for a significant portion of the season. Although, you know, that we don't know if that's going to happen. It may not happen until next season, but it's certainly something that they might have to deal with. And so uh, they're, they were looking to add a veteran running back as insurance against that possibility and also to improve their depth. And uh, if you look at the running back market right now, there's not a lot out there. And then, you know, one of them, more productive players on the market was Tariq Cohen, and uh, he tore his ACL in a workout, so it takes him off the market. So there's not a whole lot to choose from. I think Darrell Williams would, would be a good fit. He had a, a nice career as a backup in Kansas City, and uh, I think he could comfortably slide into a similar role with the Saints if they were to sign him. So I, I think there's definitely mutual interest, and I think it's definitely something that could happen. And the way the running back market is as well, Les, you're not going to have to pay a fortune for his services, and not to mention Mickey's a genius with the salary cap. So you believe that they could be able to make this deal, they could get a deal done pretty easily, right? Yeah, I think so. I, I don't know what would really prevent this from happening at this point. I, you know, I think um, Darrell Williams doesn't have a lot of options out there. I think certainly playing in his hometown would be uh, extremely attractive. And, and much like uh, Tyron Matthew and Jarvis Landry, I just think it makes sense for both sides. And I, I think you make a good point that the economics are probably easier uh, to accommodate than they were in those other two deals. So I would think that there's a a good chance that this will happen. I, I believe they met yesterday. Uh, so I would expect if it's going to happen, we're going to hear something pretty quickly. 
All right, Les, they have addressed a, a slew of needs through the draft and through free agency. They've improved their defense, and, of course, now they've added Jarvis Landry as well to their offense. We know they're in the, in the market for a running back. What's left? Is there anything else after they lock up a running back that they still need to address, in your opinion, before they head to training camp? Well, I don't think there's there's anything they have to address where you would if if they don't sign somebody you would say boy that's going to be a problem for them. Uh, I, I think you know tight end is still a, an uncertain position. Looks like Taysom Hill is going to play primarily there, so that that helps with that position. After that, it's kind of unproven. Adam Troutman's and inconsistent in his first two seasons, although he has shown, you know, some ability. Uh, you know, they have, uh, you know, some options there. Juwan Johnson has shown some ability, uh, especially in the red zone last season, but he hasn't done it week in and week out either. So there's some uh, inconsistency and concerns about depth at tight end. So adding another person there would be possible. I don't know if there's really much out there on the market that uh, would improve that situation dramatically. And any other position they address would be another depth situation. You know, offensive line and, and defensive back are two areas uh, where you can always add depth. There, there are going to be injuries there. You're going to have to use a lot of people over the course of the season at both of those positions. So, Adding another person would be something uh, that wouldn't be surprising if they did it. But you know, I think once they get a running back, I would say that you know tight end would be most likely. I'm not sure that, that there's anything else that they would uh, automatically do between now and training camp. Talking with Les East, award-winning columnist, reporter for CrescentCitySports.com. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. I know we're a little far off from training camp, but they did have rookie mini camp. What stood out to you from uh, watching the rooks there at the uh, team's facility on airline drive? Well, not a whole lot. Uh, I mean, uh, Dennis Allen said that, you know, Chris Olave, the wide receiver from Ohio State, their top pick was pretty much what they uh, expected him to be. Very smooth guy, very fast guy. Uh, talking to him afterwards, he seems to be a very uh, uh, impressive guy, well-spoken individual. In fact, all the draft choices uh, were well-spoken. Uh, Taylor, the defensive back from Tennessee, the second-round pick, also was a very impressive guy. Came across as a very confident guy. Those two got to go against one another. Uh, Taylor and Olave, and they'll be doing that a lot more going forward. So, you know, the draft choices uh, look good. I think the running back uh, from Baylor, Abram Smith, uh, you can see why they uh, gave him a better contract than most undrafted free agents. He has a lot going for him. Uh, And that's certainly a position if they don't sign Darrell Williams or anyone else, that's a position where an undrafted free agent would have a uh, strong possibility of making the roster, and he looks like a guy who could uh, maybe uh, be a good fit uh, if it comes down to that. So, you know, those guys stood out. Certainly uh, Trevor Penning, the other number one pick, is, is a very large human being. 
uh, left tackle, and um, it, you know you can't tell anything without having pads on. But you can certainly see at first look why he was a guy who was highly thought of uh, as an offensive lineman. So, uh, like most rookie mini camps, uh, you don't learn a whole lot, but there was nothing. Uh, from watching these guys or talking to them that uh, was a negative in any way. Now uh, the OTAs will begin next week, and we'll have another availability beginning, uh, I believe it's next Thursday. So we'll be able to visit with some of the veterans, although it's voluntary until they get to the June minicamp. All right, let's, let's switch gears over to the New Orleans Pelicans. Uh, they don't get the top four pick that they were coveting. They have to settle for number eight. That's still a good pick. But my question to you is this. On one hand, they could say, hey, this is going to be the last time we're going to have a, a lottery pick that can be part of our foundation for years to come because we're going to be a perennial playoff team. And so we, we'll draft someone that can fit a need. Or they could simply trade that pick and package it with a player to either trade up or maybe get a veteran to help get them over the top. What do you think the mindset's going to be with David Griffin now that they have the number eight overall pick? Well, I think he's going to uh, look at all options. I mean, they, they could even trade down and pick up more assets uh, in this draft or down the road, or like you said, a veteran, if they don't think the player that they're going to get at number eight is – uh, exactly what they're looking for. So I think the way he's looking at this is they is everything's on the table. Like they can use the pick or they can trade it in a variety of ways because they're dealing from a position of strength. They're not. Um, there's nothing that they're desperate to do. They're not saying we have to have a young player. We have to have someone who can do A or B, although certainly they have needs. There's nothing that's going to force them into doing one particular thing. So they're going to weigh all their options. And if there's somebody uh, that they can get above eight that they can't get at eight that they covet, they could certainly trade up. They have uh, two number twos this year, which – uh, aren't of tremendous value, but if you're going to put a package together, they can certainly be useful in doing so. And, and Devontae Graham and Jackson Hayes are a couple of players that they could probably afford to move for the right trade. Uh, but then again, they could uh, trade down and maybe get multiple players or go for a veteran uh, who, who could add some experience to their rotation. So I think David Griffin's not going in saying, let's do it A or B. I think he's going in there and saying it's all on the table. Let's work the phones and see what the best option is based on the opportunities we have, either using the pick or trading them. What's going to be their biggest decision coming up in free agency and the draft less? What position is it? Is it point guard? Do they need a traditional point guard or – Due to the how they played coming down the stretch and making the playoffs, do we need to kind of get that traditional mindset out of our minds, so to speak? Yeah, I think the the, the league and, and and Willie Green uh, recognizes this that we've kind of moved past traditional um, position descriptions 
And I think C.J. McCollum proved that. You know, he came and he was supposed to be a shooting guard, but he's more of a combo guard. He, you know, played a lot at the point. Uh, and they, they have various guys who can handle the ball. Brandon Ingram runs the offense quite a bit. So, uh, you know, a traditional point guard or lead guard isn't something they necessarily have to target. You know, Kyra Lewis is coming back from the entry as, as another youngster at that position. But, you know, I think outside shooting is something they're going to look at. They've gotten better at that. But the way the NBA is now, uh, the, the, you can never have enough outside shooting. Uh, you know, teams space the floor with four or five outside shooters, and they just move the ball until they get an open three. We certainly saw a lot of that last night uh, to good and bad effect with uh, Dallas and Golden State last night. So outside shooting at any position is something that they're going to look at. Now, if they – if a ball-handling guard were to be there, either through a trade or the draft, that just gives them more flexibility with McCollum and, and the other guys in the backcourt. They could do that and give them give themselves a little more latitude in the backcourt, but that's not something they have to do. I think they're going to look at uh, you know an athletic player who can shoot um, you know a wing of some sort who's got a lot of athleticism and can add to what was a pretty good defensive team last year. Les, appreciate your time as always, brother. Keep up the tremendous work there at CrescentCitySports.com. And we'll talk to you next week, my friend. Thanks, Raymond. Don't go through another summer with that awful joint pain. Call QC Kinetics right now. Hey, it's your boy, Raymond Parts III. That pain in your back that you're experiencing, your knees and your shoulder, it can now be treated with the latest in precision medicine using natural biologics, growth factors that can restore and repair damaged tissue. Really exciting stuff going on here. QC Kinetics is the nation's leader in regenerative medicine, giving you access right here to this modern-day joint pain solution. You can get lasting joint pain relief with no drugs, no steroids, no downtime, and guess what? No surgery. You've heard Emmett Smith raving about QC Kinetics. You've read or seen other high-profile people talking about it. Regenerative medicine at QC Kinetics can help you get your life back. Take action right now. Get a free consultation. Powerful, effective joint pain treatments with natural biologics are here. Call QC Kinetics right now. 337-243-4222. That's 337-243-4222. We got to take a timeout. But when we return here on RP3 and Company, we'll give you an update on the poll question of the day. Check in on the PGA Championship as well. That's all coming up right here on the game 1037 Lafayette 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. You're listening to the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Your home for the best local sports talk in southwest Louisiana. If you haven't joined the Rewards Club at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com, then listen up. You need to sign up today because here's the deal. Once you become a member, it's free to do so. 
It's simple to sign up. You just go to our website, 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. And once you go there, you click on the Clubhouse Rewards tab. You sign up. It's that easy. You start to earn points right off the bat. And those points that you earn are essentially your currency. You build up points. You can enter to win things. It's that simple. Like, I don't know, how about a $50 gift certificate to Half Shell Oyster House? Delicious Gulf seafood. You can take your lady out and have a great time. Hey, you like steak instead? We got you covered. $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's Steakhouse. That's right. You can win that $50 gift certificate to Half Shell Oyster House or a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's Steakhouse by becoming a member of our Rewards Club. So go sign up today. It's free to do so. And once you become a member, you'll have the opportunity to win free stuff. So go sign up today. Let's check in on the old poll question of the day, shall we? We asked you, should the Saints, who are in need of a backup running back, should they sign Daryl Williams, the former LSU Tiger who split time at LSU, and who has essentially split time for his four-year career in the NFL, except for last year. Last year, after Clyde Edwards-Hilaire got injured and missed a significant amount of time, Darrell Williams got to shine, and he got to prove that he belongs in the NFL, getting more than 1,000 yards from scrimmage, nearly double-digit total touchdowns. He is versatile. He can also block. And here's the deal. He's not going to cost you a fortune. He can do all the things that you need your running backs to do, run and catch and block. He's from Louisiana. He's from New Orleans. You see how this works out? And you can sign him on the cheap because the running back market right now isn't anything. Makes a ton of sense. He was in New Orleans, probably just coming back home, or as Les East just told us in the previous segment, There's mutual interest there between the Saints and Darrell Williams. Should the Saints sign running back Darrell Williams? 79% of you say yes. 21% say nada. No. Dougie Fresh has chimed in. These top guns coming to the Saints is telling me famous Jameis is healthy. He probably didn't use Michael Thomas's therapist during (laughs) rehab. This season all hinges on JW and the O-line protection. Looking good. Go Saints. The Saints are doing everything in their power to give all the weapons possible to Jameis to have him succeed. Yeah. And don't forget, they're still getting Michael Thomas back as well. They're still getting Michael Thomas back. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing what they've been able to do this offseason. Bravo. Because a lot of people thought, hey, is there going to be uneasiness here? No Sean Payton. Mickey Loomis is proving to you that he's the man in charge and that he's been the man in charge. And Dennis Allen and he are putting their stamp on this team now. They're putting their stamp on this team. So I would not be surprised whatsoever, whatsoever, if they do sign Darrell Williams. And if they don't, Let's say they can't come to terms and it doesn't work out. That's fine. There's other guys that they can go target and covet. You know what the Saints want. You know what they like to sign. They like guys that are versatile. 
That's how you make your impact with the Saints. I don't care if you're an offensive skill position player or a defensive skill position. It, it, it does not matter. They love versatility. They love versatility. Darrell Williams is versatile. He fits that mold. But you know who else would fit that mold? Trey Regis and Elijah McGuire. Someone like that. You don't have to break the bank to bring in somebody else. Look, they're really high on the kid from Baylor, and so am I. And if you're a Saints fan, so should you be. I'm telling you, kid can play. And they didn't give him a quarter of a million dollar guaranteed contract as an undrafted rookie free agent because they thought, hey, that's just some guy that we're going to cut. They believe in him too. Make no bones about that. But with the uncertainty around Kamara, he may not be suspended at all or he could miss half the year. You don't know based on what his legal case is going through and how the NFL is going to punish him from the results of said case. So there's uncertainty. Mark Ingram, he's getting to be an old man at the running back position. Tony Jones Jr., they were high on him last year. He got injured. When he did get playing time after being injured, he was no good. And Dwayne Washington's a special teamer. So they need a guy. They're going to get them one. I'm telling you, they're going to get them one. They like the kid from Baylor, but don't be surprised if they get this deal done with Darrell Williams or if it's somebody else. You know, Tariq Cohen was going to be a guy that was probably going to get looked at, but then unfortunately, devastatingly, he tears his ACL while doing an Instagram live workout session to prove to teams that he's ready to come back. And then he blows out his knee. Like, he just crushed for the guy. Crushed for the guy. They like the kid from Baylor. You know they love Kamara. But... Daryl Williams would make a lot of sense, would make a lot of sense. So keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and the Twitter. Just make sure you keep it clean for the kids, okay? We got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, we got somebody making their debut. From the Juice Box Journal. The man that covers the Houston Astros, Michael Schwab, will be joining us live here on RP3 and Company, talking all things Astros. That's coming up next, right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Major League Baseball is back, and it's time for a tradition like none other. Old school baseball guys arguing with the analytical crowd on why RBI should still be relevant. Show us that million dollar arm because I got a oh, I got a good idea about that five cent head of yours. No, but seriously, what the heck is war? Yeah. What? Who comes up with this stuff? You're killing me, Smalls. Now, back to more baseball talk here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Before we get to the baseball talk, update from the PGA Championship. And this is not a typo. I'm not misspeaking. I am not been misinformed. Leading the PGA Championship, early on here in the first round, there at Southern Hills Country Club in Tulsa. Tulsa, Oklahoma, by the way. Tulsa, the Paris of the West. Is John Daly. Yes, Long John Daly. 
Mr. I will be drinking beer in the parking lot, signing autographs out of my camper at golf tournaments. John Daly, the legend, is currently leading the PGA Championship. Yes, that's currently leading the PGA Championship. Two under through the first six holes. He's tied for the lead with Y.E. Yang, who's also two under. Robert McIntyre is also at two under. And then you have a group including Xander Shoffley and others who are one under par. Xander is one under through the first three holes. So the PGA Championship is underway there at Southern Hills Country Club in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And yes, a man who won this major championship a few decades ago, John Daly is currently tied atop the leaderboard of the PGA Championship. But right now, let's talk some baseball. Let's talk some Houston Astros baseball in particular with a man who covers the team for a living. This is what his passion is. This is what he does. He gets to cover and write about the Houston Astros. Hello. Watch out now. He's the Astros writer for the Juice Box Journal making his RP3 and company debut. Michael Schwab joins us now. Michael, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? Hey, I'm doing good. It's it's awesome to be on the most lit uh, radio station <laughs> that, that exists. So uh, I'm glad to be here. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it, bud. Appreciate you making the time out for us. Okay, let's uh, get to this Boston uh, series. Uh, look, it's a midweek series. It's early in the year. They've been really hot. The Astros have been one of the hottest teams in baseball Cooled off a little bit, dropping two or three. But is there anything from this series that makes you want to hit the panic button, or is it simply just just an early season road series that the the team dropped? I mean, honestly, I, I think the biggest thing to take away from this, and and there's no there's no reason to panic in this early in the season unless you're, there's major injuries, which we did see one. But you know, the one thing I'm watching is the starting rotation. They, they, none of them went more than five innings. Uh, and so that's, that's kind of uncharacteristic to this year. So that's something to monitor. Uh, but, I mean, the thing that stood out to me the most, that's the thing that we should be excited about, is the bats were very, very hot. And, I mean, as we saw, an MLB record was tied in the second inning of the second game of the series with five home runs in one inning, broke a franchise record. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot to watch and from the, the pitching perspective, but the bats are getting hot, which can lead the way. So I wouldn't be too concerned yet for anything. Are you surprised how well Jeremy Pena has adjusted to playing in the show? I think that anyone who knows Pena very well is not surprised about how he's come up and, and kind of taken to the task so professionally. Now, the thing that I've heard from everyone who knows him very well is that his glove was going to be able to show up in the majors, and it has. But in regard to how well he's been hitting, no one expected it to be this good. And when he came out of uh, college, he was a scrawny kid, but he's bulked up. And if you see pictures of him, he has. He's hitting the, the ball harder than most of the team outside of Jordan Alvarez. And I, I, even James Click talked about it yesterday on a radio show saying that they were hopeful he'd be this good, but no one expected he'd be this good. This has fallen into the laps of the Astros. I mean, for them, they're only paying him about 700000 a year. He may, may make more uh, if he does win Rookie of the Year or any other awards. Carlos is making $35 million. 
And so that right there is the biggest head fake you could ever expect. But this guy, I mean, if you look at the numbers right now, he's leading the major leagues in war, in defensive war, in OPS for shortstop, for majors. In regard to rookies, he leads in home runs and RBI. So, I mean, I don't think anyone realized it would be like this, and everyone's cheering for Jeremy right now. And the Astros scouting department and their minor league system has just been phenomenal in the last seven to eight years. Uh, another guy that came up through that, uh, came up through, I guess, a trade would have been your Nalvarez, right? Back in the day with the Dodgers, they traded him uh, as a prospect to the Strohs. He looks healthy, and he is an absolute monster at the plate. Is it crazy to think that Jordan can hit 50 home runs this season? No, it's not crazy. It's not crazy at all. I, I don't think it's. I don't think it's out of the or, ordinary of what he can do this year. I'm. I'm hopeful that he'll hit fifty. I think he's going to level out around four forty. Okay. Maybe forty three. But the thing that I'm watching, which is really really exciting, and this is a lot on him, is he has the chance to be the fastest player in regard to uh, the amount of at-bats, or games, excuse me, in uh, to 100 home runs. Uh, the one who holds the record right now is Ryan Howard. And Jordan is, I think he's only about 27 home runs from that. So he's going to have to average about two a game to beat Howard. But even if he doesn't, he'll be in the top five. So, I mean, no one, another person that no one expected was Jordan to be like this, especially when he was traded from the Dodgers. They had their eyes on him. They hoped he'd be good. The scouting part department is exceptional. And this goes out to the, the Astros scouting department internationally because their eyes are everywhere. They've focused on that. Um, they didn't take him, but then they were able to tr- trade for him because they kept watching for him. And, I mean, you're seeing it with Pena. You're seeing it with Jordan. You see it with Yuli, with how they brought him over. I mean, look at the starting staff of all the pitchers, the Garcia, uh, you look at Garcia or Kidi, um, Fromber, all these guys have been built through the system, and it's showing how well they are. And I know people really want to see huge free agent signings and huge trades, and I do believe they'll still be a big trade, but you've got to give it to the scouting department and develop the development as well for getting up to here. And one exciting stat, real quick, over the past, since 2014, I think minus one year, They've had a rookie in the top five voting for Rookie of the Year. That right there is an incredible stat. And the other thing that stands out to me about their development, and look, uh, Bregman, we know of him because he came up and he played at LSU, and and obviously, but the majority of their great players or very good players that they've been able to develop in the last seven to eight years have been Latin players. So they're doing their scouting in Central, South America, Cuba, you know, everywhere. Not all teams are doing that. Could we argue that the Astros are the best at that when it comes to Latin players scouting and developing them? I think that the Astros are the ones who revolutionized that because I think a few teams were interested in the in the markets outside of the United States. The Astros moved heavily into that, and that can be back to Lunau as well, who really pushed that way. Oz Acampo, who is an international scout for the Astros, he left for a little bit. That was actually one of the hardest um, losses for the team 
that people didn't realize was losing the scout. Well, he's back now, and he's the one who found Jordan. And so we can see that the Astros are, again, pushing heavily to keep that international market heavy. Um, you can see regard to Yuli and how he's created this Cuban pipeline, and that's Diaz, that's your, that's Yuli, that's Jordan. These are the Cubans on the team. They've got the most Cubans uh, of any team in the in uh, in the MLB for the amount of Cubans on a team, and that's just showing how much they care about it. They find the good players, and then they push into developing them well, and you you see the results. I mean. It's something to be, it's something to praise to see how much that they've made this more of a world game instead of just like a local game. We're talking with Michael Schwab of the Juice Box Journal. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. Michael, I'm glad you brought up Yuli because, you know, he was your batting champion for the American League a year ago, and he had a dreadful start to the season. And you, you started to kind of get a little worried okay, is father time starting to catch up with him? Well, he starts turning it around this past weekend. Uh, what do you make of him being able to kind of turn it around, and do you think uh, that he can get back to the level that he was a year ago? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think everyone, you know, when you go through April, we already, you know, the Astros don't start well in April. That just They never do. They don't. It's It's not a hot month for them. Now we're into mid-May and people are starting to get worried about Yuli. Well, he's at his batting average is at 242 right now, and as a team, the average is not great. This is not a good year for averages because the ball is dead. They're not doing well because of it. But of late, something I wanted to point out: of the past five games, Yuli is hitting 500. Um, his OPS is 1.550 with its slugging plus. On base, so he's getting on base and he's hitting the ball. He's got three homers, seven RBI. He even stole a base in those five games. So something to watch about that is that he is picking up and he has consistently over the five this past seven games. The thing about Yuli is he's been in the league for I think it's since 2016 or 2017. I can't remember exactly, but he has a whole career in Cuba. He's the most well-known Cuban player ever i mean he is there you know I, i'd say he'd be there ken griffey jr to how much we love a player and so he's a professional i think he's fine i think you should be more worried about his defense for father time and so far he's doing pretty good but you know from an offensive perspective i think he's going to start hitting consistently he may not get up to michael brantley average again but he will be doing well, and I think that's something to watch specifically of late. I don't think it's a fluke. I think this is who he is. And the other thing about Yuli is the glove work is key for them. We see how much Carlos Correa misses those uh, balls that he can throw on a bounce and have scooped up in Minnesota. Uh, th that doesn't happen in Minnesota right now. That still happens in Houston. And Bregman, Altuve, and Alpena trust Yuli to be able to do that, right? And And you can't undersell that. Why does it always feel like we don't talk enough when people covering the Astros and watching the Astros? We do, it doesn't feel like we talk enough about Michael Brantley Jr. Why is that? I think because he's the he's the constant professional. He is. He he's not loud. He he doesn't raise you know 
any any anything with what he does. He just plays the game and he does it consistently. I mean that his batting average is always top two in the Astros since he's been on the team. He always hits. Uh, he makes incredible plays in left field. And what's exciting to see is that he's not dealing with his nagging injuries that he did last year. So he's actually been playing left. And that's another story is Jordan has been as well. And Jordan is doing very well in left field. But Michael Brantley is the perfect two hitter. I mean, at number two, he is able to drive in who needs to drive in. He can hit the ball to the left, which is, you know, which is crazy <laughs> that he's hitting it so even leads to the opposite side. He puts that ball where he wants. I think it's not exciting for people because they want to see a lot of homers. Um, they don't want to see a consistency from batting average. But he's the glue for this lineup. And when he's out, you see that it doesn't help them. But I, I think they are top-heavy, and Brantley makes them better, especially. And I, I, honestly, to see him at two, you're on at four, Tucker's actually decent at six. I, I would move him to five sometimes, but, you know, Dusty wants the left, right, left, right in the lineup. But, I mean, Houston is fortunate to get him, and they, that was a huge off-season signing in 2021 when they got him back. That was really important. I'm glad you brought up Kyle Tucker because once he got a chance to be an everyday outfielder for this team last year after Springer left in free agency, he shined, right? He stepped up. He had a slow start but he had a very good season, and he's continued that this year. How key has that been for the Astros to have Tucker just simply step into that role and be a big power bat and be able to man the outfield in replacement for Springer? I mean, it's huge. I mean, Kyle Tucker is so much has so much potential. He's one of those players who needs to be extended for many, many years. Same with the Ordon. Both of those players need to be on this team because they are stars. I think Kyle Tucker could be MVP one year. I mean, we already see that he's doing so well. He is playing gold glove level from right field. I mean, he had a, he robbed a homer yesterday. It was a sack fly, but still, he robbed a homer. Um, the funny thing about Tucker is he just looks so nonchalant when he plays. But he makes unbelievable catches in the outfield. And from a hitting perspective... You know, he started off, it always starts off slow in April, but he's starting to pick up. I mean, here's the craziest thing. He's got eight stolen bases. He leads the team in stolen bases. Um, he already has 25 RBI, seven homers, and that's from a slow April. So it has been so revolutionary for the team to have a hitter like Tucker. who could You could put him at leadoff. You could put him anywhere in the lineup. But him playing like he has is so pivotal for this team doing well. Um, it's just like, just like Yuli, he, he's unstoppable right now. And, you know, I, I think to see Altuve at leadoff, he's so, he's so integral to this lineup as well, being at leadoff. Um, you need everyone to play their role. And so uh, Tucker has become that. He stepped into that place and he's going to keep shining. I, I truly think. I also think he'll be an all-star this year. Wrapping up our conversation with Michael Schwab of the Juice Box Journal. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. Verlander had the extra time off in his recovery, which I think has played a role in how good he's looked post-Tommy John mm-hmm. surgery. He, he looks like the Cy Young Award winner yet again. But the rest of the staff has pitched well. I know they had a couple off games in Boston, but for the most part, 
This staff has looked really good, and it looks really deep. Now with Odorizzi, not going to be done for the season. We found out that yesterday, and you're still going to get Lance McCullers Jr. back. How good is this rotation going to be as the season progresses? That's uh, the storyline that needs to be told, and that's a surprising storyline. So, you know, to to rewind, Brent Strom left uh, the pitching coach for the Astros to go to Arizona. And that was always in the line. He wasn't pushed out. He was ready to retire or play in Arizona because that's where he lives. Well, that allowed for the new pitching coaches to come up and do their thing who've been through the system. And more than anything, there's data that they are using. These guys are throwing harder now. You know, Ryan Sanek's getting up to 100. Brian Abreu's getting up to 100. They're helping the guys to do well. And it's paying off from a starter's perspective. Most of the guys are going over six innings which the start of 2021, they were not to start the year. And that was really bad for the team because it was putting taxes on to the, the relievers. Well, from starting perspective, they're winning games, they're going deep, and they're getting outs. Now, they're not getting strikeouts, which is the strangest thing. None of them are getting the, the strikeout percentage is so low. But they're relying heavily on the defense to help them out. And so I think this is a storyline to really watch and it's exciting Jake Odorizzi's injury does hurt because he probably won't be back till I personally think August or September. Now we could have lost him for the entire year because we thought it was an Achilles, but it wasn't, but there was a tendon that was affected by his Achilles. I think McCullers joining the staff is going to be huge for the team. Of course. I also think that they may try check out the trade market. And I think they should, because just like years where they got Verlander, where they already looked deep, or Grinky, where they were deep, I think they'll do it again. Maybe go after Shane Bieber. Maybe go over to somebody who's got a long-term contract that they can keep for a while so that you can go into the playoffs with a 1-2-3 rotation and studs behind them who can step into the bullpen. So, you know, I, if I could compare this team to anyone, i compare them to 2017 team. They're playing like it. They're underdogs. They're looking good. They're not... 2019 in regards to offense, but they're a good team. And I think Astros fans in the Louisiana area should be watching heavily because this is a team I think that can go the farthest. Michael, appreciate your time as always, brother. Great debut, my friend. Enjoy your day and enjoy your weekend, and we'll talk to you soon, brother. Yeah, you got it. Thank you. Take care. That's Michael Schwab from the Juice Box Journal joining us talking all things Houston Astros. we got to take a timeout. When we return, we'll wrap up today's show, finalize the poll question of the day, and get you set up for Kevin Foot and Footnotes. That's all next right here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. You love sports. We love sports. Uh, I want to thank our guests for making this Thursday edition of RP3 and Company. Tremendous. Connor O'Gara from Saturday Down South. Les East from CrescentCitySports.com. And Michael Schwab from the Juice Box Journal. Poll question of the day. Let's get you those final results. We asked you, should the New Orleans Saints sign former LSU running back and Kansas City Chief running back Daryl Williams? Final results, 78% of you say yes, 22% of you say no. Thanks to all who voted on the poll question of the day and left their comments on Facebook and the Twitter. Woo! 
Don't forget, we got live baseball tonight. LSU, Vandy. Pre-game begins at 6.30. First pitch, 7 o'clock. Final regular season series of the year for the Purple and Gold. That's right. 6.30 pre-game, 7 o'clock first pitch. That'll be heard right here on the game. On our sister station, News Talk 98.5 FM, Houston Astros, Texas Rangers. Astros return home to Minute Maid Ballpark. They'll be taking on the Rangers to begin a four-game series. First pitch tonight, 7-10 on News Talk 98.5 FM. For the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, I'm Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. We'll do it all again tomorrow, 6-9. to But until then, be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Kevin Foote in Footnotes is up next right here. On the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station.